You're listening to the Up In Your Business Podcast, episode 036. On this show, I interview a nationally recognized psychology expert about leadership, high performance, and the influence of other people in our lives. Now, it's exactly the opposite. It's not the crazy ones that go see coaches. It's the very best and the highest performers. Welcome to the Up In Your Business Podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership. Here's your host, Angus Nelson. Well, hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. It is great to have you join me. If this is your very first time visiting, our community is ecstatic to have you here. So this past weekend, uh, it was my birthday, it was Mother's Day, and then it was my son's birthday, all at the same time. And uh, we have a lot of family staying with us. The house was crazy fun with warmth and hospitality and a little bit of uh, insanity mixed in. And as such, I wasn't able to push out the show on the normal time that I do, which is about 3 a.m. Central Standard Time on Monday morning. And while I wish I could have been more proactive to have all of my shows done you know, weeks ahead of time, I'm still not there yet. And sometimes I'm doing them as I go. Sometimes I'm stacked up, but sometimes not. And that happens to be the case. And I myself do all of the editing and producing myself. And and in the past, I, I've put an enormous amount of pressure on myself to release my shows on time. But this week, however, instead I chose to be present. I wanted to be in the moment and I didn't even touch some of the items on my agenda this weekend. I didn't do anything. I just hung out with my family, my kids. Um, it was it was a great time. And so as such, I didn't release this show on Monday. At the same time, I didn't just want to release just a thrown-together piecemeal of a show. So I'm going to release this on Tuesday instead. You know why? Because I'm learning that this show is not my life. And I'm going to release the show when it's ready, obviously within a reasonable time frame, but rather than push it out and conflicts, you know, some of the things that were probably more important to me and my family right now, instead I, I share this with you, um, I guess from a place that I want to encourage you to do the same. So I want you to not let your life get in the way of life itself. And sometimes your family, well, that's far more important than finances or just getting a project or a hobby done. And for me, I've been hustling for the last several months, and my wife needed me. 
So I made sure she got my undivided attention. So it wasn't because I was slacking off. It wasn't because I've lost any enthusiasm. It wasn't because I don't have value for you, the audience. Emphatically, no to all of that. So moving on, I want you to also commit to embrace life and be present for the things that are most important in that moment. So with that, I want to hear from you. Uh, do you have questions? Do you want to share something that you've learned on any of these shows? Do you have a topic you'd like me to cover, or do you need a piece of advice on an issue you're facing? Please ping me on Twitter. My handle is at Angus Nelson. You can follow me there and fire away any questions you might have to engage with me. And uh, I want to move into the rest of our show today. So let's jump into that. First off, you'll notice a difference in the audio of my guest during this conversation. We had some quality issues to wrestle through, but the content is fantastic. And eventually we simply switched to a hard line. Uh, so you'll, it'll be pretty obvious that you'll hear the change in the sound. But outside of that, uh, you're going to want to take some notes on this one. It's filled with lots of great nuggets. I'm sure you're going to appreciate. So today, we're talking to a renowned clinical psychologist. He's a leadership expert and the best-selling author. He sold over 10 million books worldwide. His work has been seen in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune, and many others. He has great insight into identifying the critical ingredients for personal and professional well-being. Today, we are talking to Dr. Henry Cloud. So let's jump into that interview right now. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. I'm your host, Angus Nelson, and I'm here with Dr. Henry Cloud. Dr. Cloud, what is it that made you smile the biggest in the last week? Oh, it's always got to be my family. You know, I, um, I've been traveling, and um, I was actually in Manhattan shooting the simulcast for The Power of the Other, the new book, and came home and went out to dinner with my wife and girls. I've got a 13 and 15 year old. And I think the thing that made me smile the most is a 15 year old just got her permit and it's her first week of driving. And it is the most frightening. I've jumped out of airplanes. It doesn't even compare to sitting there with your kid who's really just learning how to drive. It is the most frightening thing ever, but it made me laugh. And you, you hang on to that little handle above the window a little bit tighter. You hang on to that. And also you try to just, you know, I, I'm a psychologist, right? And I know that if you're messing with people's heads while they're trying to perform, then A, that's poor leadership, but B, they're not going to perform. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there trying to put duct tape all over my head to keep quiet so this girl doesn't crash, but she's about to crash. So I got to tell her not to. It's a dilemma. Right, uh, and and for you, like that, that that brings up a topic. You know, parenting teenagers is not the easiest. Do you find any more challenge to uh, parenting your own children as it is, you know, putting together uh, corporate executives? Putting together, well, the difference in in dealing with CEOs is that a you don't have to pay for them, and b you don't have to live in the house with their mistakes, right? So, um, it's always harder. It's always harder in your own house. And, and and I think that's true of your business as well, well as your personal life. You know, um, I love my work as a consultant and a coach, 
because what I get to do is I get to watch people who are just super high performers and I get, you know, I get to be a thought partner with them and, and kind of walk through the game with them. And, and what I find is that, that it's, it's, we learn so much from the people that we end up helping as much. And, and if you, it, I think if it's, if it's a good, if it's a good context and relationship, then they end up helping you as much as you help them. You know, I, I find that raising teenagers is, um, it's really not a lot different than, than the constructs that drive leadership. It's, it, it's a fascinating uh, comparison. You know, if you think about what a leader does, if you're leading a business, you're leading a team, you're leading a company, the way that I look at leadership, I've, I've got a simple little model that I teach CEOs and companies, and that is this. All leaders do the same thing. You know, whether you're leading a, a global brand or trying to get the kids in the van by 8 o'clock to get to school, you start with a desired future, right? You got a vision. It's what your brain does. It is able to desire something that doesn't yet exist and see it. Then you've got to know how to communicate with clarity what are we trying to do here? What's the future we're trying to bring about? The second thing you do is you got to engage the talent. Just like your brain decides I'm going to walk from here to there. Well, the first thing, your brain can't go anywhere by itself. It's got to say, hey, leg, you want to come with me? Right, <laughs> I right. need you to inner ear. I need you to keep me balanced. Eyes, if you could kind of watch where we're going and give us feedback on that. So you got to get the team together and you got to engage them. The third thing a leader does is you got to have a plan. Am I going to hop from here to there? Am I going to skip? Am I going to take six steps, eight steps? How am I going to get there? What's my plan? And that's against a timeline. And then after you got a, a plan that you start to execute, you've got to measure how you're doing. And you've got to measure the activities that are going to drive the result. And you have to have measurement and accountability system. Your brain needs to know if you're wandering off the path and it's going to hold you accountable. And, and then the last thing is you've got to adapt to what you find. And you know what? I like to sit down with the family like a vision casting, just like a CEO does and say, hey, guys, you know, it's the beginning of summer. What's our vision for the summer? At the end of the summer, what do you want to look back and, and be able to say, this is what we did and this is how it went. And then, okay, so what's everybody's role in that? And what, you know, how are we going to behave to get that done? So I find a lot of, there's a lot about leadership in parenting. Absolutely. And I want to dive into some of that here in just a few moments. And since we already are kind of getting into part of it, I want to jump into your newest book. And uh, right before we got on the call, I told you I've read a number of your past books, uh, Boundaries. I've read Integrity, Boundaries for Dating, Boundaries for Marriage. Um, and now this new book, uh, The Power of the Other, the startling effect other people have on you from the boardroom to the bedroom and beyond and what to do about it. So I want to start off your opening into the book. You go into a bit of a, a metaphor or an illustration where you talk about the Navy SEAL who was going underwater until his friend who had already finished the very last task of the very last test to become an official SEAL. And here is this, um, this candidate who has run out of energy and catches eyes with his friend. His friend gives him a bit of a fist pump and says, you can do it in more or less words. In that right. moment, gets a surge of energy to fuel him to the finish. 
people have listened to this show long enough have heard me say that we're not nearly transformed by the people we believe in as much as our, we are on the people who believe in us. And that starts the whole conversation. How can someone else have this kind of influence in our lives? You know, it, it is the question. Um, and even before we started studying performance and we have the neuroscience and the brain scans and all this stuff to actually answer that question now, philosophers and psychologists and theologians for centuries have looked at this dilemma. And the dilemma is the mind-body problem. That's what it's called in philosophy, the mind-body problem. So here you've got a Navy SEAL who is the best trained physical specimen that we know anything about, and he's got the last swim in hypothermia conditions. He's been up awake for seven days. They give him like three minutes sleep a night, and they have stretched them past all human thing, all human capacities and limits to where you know, 90% of them in this in this training that, that called Hell Week, 90% of them of the best specimens have dropped out. They start with 200, only 20 become SEALs. So you've got one of these guys and he's making it and he's on the last swim and he's going down. And it's not because he's tired. It's not because he doesn't have the will. It's literally physiologically his brain and his body had hit the limits. Like when you go to the gym, if you lift away long enough, there will come a place to where there is no more. That's our limit. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. You can only open up so many programs on your computer, you're going to hit a limit. Now, here's a question. How do you get past your current limit? How, does a, how did Michael Phelps get to get his times past his limit to get to the next level? How do you grow sales to the next level? How do you grow up your, your performance to the next level? Well, that's where this mind body problem comes in. Cause what happens is this Navy seal is going down and I knew this guy, he told me the story and the Navy seal that was on the beach was my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. He going down, he looks up, he, he sees Mark, his buddy, Mark, gives a fist pump, and in the way he told it, he says, I'm going down, I can't will it, I'm trying, I'm going down. When I saw Mark, my body literally got out of the water and made it to the shore. Now, how do you explain that, that something immaterial, like the connection to another person, they, didn't, they weren't wired by physical wires, This was an immaterial spiritual connection, a relationship, and it changed the guy's performance. Now, how does that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. It's two things. It's energy and it's information. In other words, there is energy that happens in a connection between people. You take a baby, and here's what the science will tell you. You take a baby, you feed them and water them right when they're born, You feed them and water them for the next few years, but if you don't relationally connect with them and all their physical needs are met, their brains do not grow. You can take pictures of their brains later when they start to have bad behavior and there are literal dark spots in their brain where circuitry didn't grow. The gray matter itself is smaller. Their intellect did not get to where it's supposed to be. Their immune systems, their physical equipment 
Now remember this, they had their food and water, they had all their physical needs taken care of, they didn't have their relational needs taken care of, and the physical equipment, the hardware, the circuitry did not grow. Mm-hmm. What does that have to do with leadership? What does that have to do with athletes? What does that have to do with Navy SEALs? What does it have to do with growing your team and your company? Basically, here's what we know about human performance. That there, there's, it's basically a triangle. Your performance today is going to exist in a triangle. The triangle is this. Number one, to the stool, the legs of the stool. The first leg is your brain, your physical brain, the neurotransmitters that are running through your head right now. Do you have dopamine and serotonin and jet fuel that's going to drive you to the best thinking, the best performance, the best reactions, the best problem solving, the best perseverance, the best emotional abilities, the best, all of that stuff, you got to have the chemicals to run it. Or are you going to be running on adrenaline and cortisol and all of these stress hormones that actually diminish your performance brain. It's why a golfer chokes. They know how to hit that shot. But when they're, they get in that other side of their brain, they can't even pull their own golf swing up, okay? Or a quarterback, whoever it is. So that's your brain. The second leg of the stool after the physical brain is your mind. And that is your heart and your mind and your soul. That's the software. It's not the hardware. Mm-hmm. It's the immaterial wiring, your belief systems, your emotional regulation, your emotional intelligence. We can, we can, we can see the results of your, your, your thoughts, but we can't physically find it. But they exist and they drive behavior. Not only do they drive behavior, but they drive the physical chemistry. And this relationship of this immaterial, this thought life, your heart, the things that you feel and care about change your brain chemistry that changes your performance and vice versa. But the third leg of the stool, and this is what this book is about, the third leg of the stool is the relationships that you are in. Now, when a Navy SEAL lands behind enemy lines, they immediately do first thing do three things, ask themselves three questions. Where am I, where's the enemy, and where's my buddy? Mm-hmm. And I was actually in a simulcast with Dork, uh, Dork, <laughs> Rourke Denver last week, a famous Navy SEAL. He's got a new show on um, called uh, American Grit, I think, on Fox. And we were, talking, uh, t- we were t- talking about their training and what happens when they land behind these enemy lines. And I said, you know, I've, I've studied you guys and I've, I've worked with you and, and, and it's, you got to know where you are and you got to know where the enemy is. You got to know where your buddy is. And he said, that's right. He said, but actually you got to know where your buddy is first. Mm. Cause if you know that, then you can find the other two. Mm-hmm. If you don't have, you know, and you, you can't find your buddy, you're not going to get what you need. So what we're talking about in this book is that there are, if you have relationships and you're a high performer and you're trying to up your performance and those relationships are disconnected relationships where you really feel alone in the relationship and you're not being fueled by that relationship, your performance is diminishing. Number two, if those relationships are making you feel not good enough in some way, 
they're critical or they make you feel inferior or they're toxic and that kind of all the dynamics that go into a relationship that makes you feel bad about yourself, your brain is not working to its highest levels. Now, I'm not talking about relationships that give us negative feedback. We need feedback. I'm talking about a negative dynamic that's diminishing where you feel just bad about yourself. Number three, if those relationships are just flattering and happy talk and you're connecting with somebody just because they make you feel good, you know, and that could be an illicit relationship. It, it could be pornography. It could be awards. It could be sales numbers. And you just want to be around stuff that makes you feel good and people that make you feel good, then you're on drugs. That's not a real relationship either. The only kind that drives performance is what I call the fourth corner. You know, I've mentioned three corners so far. Disconnected, bad relationship, and, and fake good. The fourth corner is a real relationship, and this is on your team, this is with your, your business partner, it's with your coach, it's with your support, best friends, whoever it is that's going to be writing code into your brain, it's got to be a real relationship that's supportive, but that's honest, that drives you, but holds you accountable, that doesn't micromanage your brain but puts you in control of what only you can control and then requires performance from you. And then a, a host of other factors. That's what the research shows that it's the most important thing that anybody can focus on in building a business. You know, here's the thing about traditional leadership that we've known from the past, leadership that seems to be overt, that seems to be power hungry, that seems to be dominant. And now we're seeing leadership take on um, for lack of better terms, a softer rule, one that has emotional IQ or EQ, has um, tangibility, transparency, you know, has to be genuine. All of these things come very difficult for leadership who oftentimes get siloed and for many of them become control freaks. Um, to talk about this fourth corner, it, it propels them or challenges them to kind of let go. How do you go about bringing them to that kind of reality? Well, it's a good question. And, you know, the first thing I would do is I would walk them back in time to a little bit of this myth because you do hear this a lot. You hear that, you know, leadership used to be top down and, you know, command and control and all this kind of what really ends up being a lot of negative stuff. Now, here's what we know. We know that organizations were more organized that way. We know that that was, you know, before the, 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 the network kind of structures that we have now, you know, even in the military, um, when, when, when you look at how the military is having to form now, it's, it's much more autonomous, it's much more network driven because they got to respond because, you know, ISIS or somebody has done something based on a tweet and not levels and lines of communication mm -hmm. that they intercept. And, and, and the military even, which is thought to be so hierarchical, you know, I just did a leadership event with a general who said that they, they've had to move in this direction as well. But having said all that, even though history looks a little different structurally, here's what we know about the great leaders. Even in history, the great leaders were people that were so connected to the people that followed them 
those followers would die for those leaders. Mm. They were so, you know, you said it's, it's, it's softer and it's, it's not, and I can't remember the adjective you used, not as hard or something, but here's the reality. A leader that's screaming at you, while that may feel hard for the moment, it all it does inside of you is it converts you to fight or flight. You want to resist them or you want to internally, you emotionally move away from them. And that's a reaction that ultimately is not very hard at all. Let me tell you what's hard. What's hard is when you have a leader that is emotionally connecting with you and understanding and supportive and at the same time is very severe about their requirements. Mm -hmm. I have a phrase that I use for leaders and it's this, go hard on the issue and soft on the person. And what leaders do in the old model is they'll go hard on the person, but a lot of times they're not even hard on the issue as much because they don't have they don't have the kind of accountability and requirements and consequences and push, immediate feedback and all the stuff that really drives performance. And so, you know, I'm going to push back a little bit on that, you know, emotionally intelligent leaders are soft. They're not because you're fired said in a very soft way has pretty hard, severe consequences to it. So, let's just look at it more in terms of brain functioning. You know, you can think better if somebody is trying to help you walk through a problem and come up with answers than you can if somebody's screaming at you. Mm. I, th I think I totally agree with you in the difference between the hard and soft. I, I like to think of it like in parenting, whereas I might raise my voice with my child and I might be firm with them, but because I have relationship with them, because they have value and love, they don't receive it from a place of fear, intimidation, or control versus if I'm just shouting at them like some parents might do when it's not laced with love, um, they'll do it just because they're trying to demand a reaction or demand a performance or, you know, manufacture the behavior that they want. Yeah, you know, ultimately what's going to drive behavior is a combination of freedom, responsibility, and love. If you can always make those three equal, whether you're a CEO or whether you're a parent, you've got to set people free to perform. Okay? You give somebody a job, don't get in their head. Don't micromanage them. Say, look, here's what you're responsible for, and you're free to go do it in your way and use your own talents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I will hold you responsible to these outcomes or these results. Here's what I'm looking for. And I'm going to do that in love, right? And so what happens is we get one of those sort of, you know, unequal to the other two. For example, we might be loving and give somebody a lot of freedom, but we don't hold them responsible. Mm -hmm. We don't hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. Or you might have high accountability and high freedom, but there's not a lot of love there. And that's where you turn into a slave driver. Yeah. Or you might be loving and accountable but you're in their head. They're not free to be able to perform. You've got to always, as a leader and a parent and a friend, as a human, those three constructs, setting each other free and not have control, manipulation, micromanaging, thinking for them, you know, all that kind of stuff. Freedom is number one. 
responsibility is number two, and love is number three. That's how our brains are wired. They need all three. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk about a, kind of that brain wiring. Um, you kind of allude in the book about, you know, even our past and things that people have done to harm or to program the way that we see things, the way that we perceive the world, our worldview, our habits, etc. Um, I know in, in psychology worlds, it talks about schemas. You know, it's kind of like that pathway right. of when something that used to hurt us is almost like a bruise. And when someone touches that bruise, you naturally impulsively react to it in a way that is so subconscious. Right. How do you help someone navigate what the past is of some of the things that they're dealing with and continue with uh, in order to become more self-aware? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, what it, it, we kind of think of this stuff as so complicated, right? Which it is when you get into the to the neurological patterning that happens in our brains and the way that that you know some memories have have schema-like power. There are some, you know, P- PTSD with a war veteran, for example. Right. You know, they have had experiences that literally be- can become in the moment dominant of their map of how to negotiate the world. So they've been, you know, in in Iraq or somewhere, and they've, they've you know, everywhere they turn, somebody's shooting at them and this, that, and the other, and now they come and they are, are working in a company, and somebody comes, and I've actually seen this happen. Somebody comes and and walks in on them, you know, in the office without announcing themselves, surprises them and startles them. And I've seen somebody have a total flashback and go back and take the guy out mm-hmm. and not even realize where they are. Now, that's an extreme example. But what that says is an experience has shaped somebody's mind and built up a schema, and so they're responding to a current situation from a pattern that they learned in the past that's really to preserve themselves. So what we have to do is, you know, you got to calm that guy down and say, hey, dude, it's not war. You know, we're in a meeting, right? And they've got to learn new patterns of behavior. And so here's what we know about the neurology of this is that new patterns of behavior require, number one, they require, you know, some kind of a connection with a person. So we've got to have a relationship that helps us to, first of all, feel safe. And then secondly, we've got to begin to observe our patterns. So in a relational context, we're getting above it. This is why I have teams. When I do off-sites with CEOs and their teams, you know, we will start to get above the work and ask the question, okay, so how are you working together? And they begin to look at their patterns because you'll see, you know, I've worked with like global 25 uh, companies who in an executive team meeting will notice that they're in this issue that this is a big, you know, multi-billion dollar deal and they're they're trying to figure out how they go to market and R&D and marketing are are kind of, you know, not getting together on this thing. And then you start to say, let's get above it, okay? Why is this happening? And what you find is somebody from one side of that table has been reticent to, and I I just walked through a situation like this, and, you know, they got hammered in the press because it was a technology company that came to market with a product, and it didn't have all the features that it was supposed to have because the salespeople have been out there selling features that R&D couldn't get to and get it in by that date. 
And how did they get hammered? Because those two executive level, executive team level VPs had really avoided some conversations they needed to have because one of them had come from a background in a company where well, you just don't give that kind of bad news to your boss. Or you just don't talk about it. You know, you got to go make it happen. And they couldn't make it happen. They weren't communicating. And that's where the sharpest business minds in the world were failing because of an emotional or relational dynamic that one of them was working on a schema from a past company that you're going to get your head taken off if you say that, but that needed to be said. Right, right. And so... So they've got to become aware of it, and, and this is where you know bringing in somebody to work with your team, bringing in a coach, bringing in people that aren't part of the dynamic that can help you become aware of it, and then order some new behavior. I have teams do, do you know, simple behavioral covenants with each other. This is how we're going to hold each other accountable, okay? This is how often this is the way it's going to, going to be. I just did a leadership um, event where uh, uh, Ed Catmull spoke from the founder of Pixar and and the creative genius that that, that did all of that 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 big merger and and he talked about how you know you you look at a film like Toy Story and all those great films that they've made he said basically what he spent his time on was building the culture the relationships in that team to where people's brains could be fully creative. And one of the things he talked about was we have rules. And we have rules, behavioral rules, like say it with respect, but say it all. <laughs> what a great rule. Yeah. But see, if people don't start to focus on how am I going to change these patterns, these are neurological hardwired patterns that are going to continue to show up unless we focus on changing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I worked with a company where my manager tried to take my head off because of exactly. something that he judged or projected that my motivations were false. And I let him go through his whole rant. His face is all red. The veins are sticking out in his forehead and neck. And then I didn't respond to it. I actually gave him a couple of days before the emotion you know, kind of died down. And then I gave him just a little feedback. I said, hey, can I talk to you about that? And I said, when you did this, this is how you acted, and, and this is what the behavior was, and this is how it made me feel. And then I told him, I said, where in our relationship would you think that any of that judgment would apply? I said, you've always seen me to be this other thing, and now you're saying I'm this thing. And it was amazing how kind of the light bulb went off on his head, and he's like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. And I said, I completely understand. I've made mistakes before. I said, but I want you to know that I love you enough to give you the right feedback because I want to connect with you and have you lead me in a way that's going to be most effective for me and most empowering for you. That's exactly right. And, and you know, people say, well, gosh, do you really? I mean, that sounds like a lot of psychobabble for business. Right. <laughs> but but I'm telling you, I get called in situations where where you know, you got a board and a CEO sideways, mm. and literally billions and billions of dollars are at stake, and literally hundreds of thousands of lives are going to be affected by this thing breaking up. Mm-hmm. 
and by, or by getting sold because these two people can't get it together. And, you know, Pat, Pat Lencioni um, talks sometimes about in organizations they're smart and they're healthy, and you have to have both. Mm-hmm. And and what we're talking about here in in the power of the other, what I tried to do in this book was to show how do we get better in our performance, and how do teams get better, and how do business get businesses get better, apart from what we always hear people talking about, which is building your competencies and skills and knowledge base and, and abilities. How does that happen? It actually only happens in the context of relationships that are writing the code on these patterns or for these patterns on our brain. It happens in a relational way. And we've got to understand that or we never change performance. And how much of that is, you know, tied into those limiting beliefs? You know, going back to kind of the self-awareness thing where, some people can't see themselves either in a position of authority or power that's effective or they've always served under a place that wasn't effective or, you know, was negative. Yeah. Like, I love well, the what... fact that one of the things I always say is, you know, when we get a third party, whether it's a counselor or um, a therapist or, you know, something like that, like, I always thought that anyone who sees somebody like that, like, if I were to come to you, Dr. Cloud, I would say, man, anyone who's going to come talk to you has got to be crazy. They're out of their mind. Why would you ever go see something? And yet the first time you do it and you open your mouth and you hear your own chaos coming out of your own lips and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is really crazy. I am crazy in a healthy way, (laughs) you know, and owning it. Well, here's the interesting thing. And and in this book, The Power of the Other, I actually chronicled the people that are the highest performers you know or, you know, in, in, in a lot of different fields. And what you're going to see is each one of them had that person or persons that played that role of giving them an ability and a place to see themselves and the immediate feedback and the building in, the skills building, and whether whatever the context, whether it's a coach, a counselor, a board member, whatever it is, that if we don't have that, then that's when we're crazy. So... So it's kind of like you said, you know, a lot of people feel like, gosh, if somebody comes and, and sees, if you go to get a coach or whatever, you know, a leadership coach, then, whoa, what's, you know, is your job on the line? Well, it used to be that if somebody got sent to coaching, that was an HR move because they were having a problem. Mm-hmm. Now it's exactly the opposite. It's not the crazy ones that go see coaches it's the very best and the highest performers. And when, you know, that phrase of like somebody comes to see you or a coach, you know, they must be crazy, then the reality is that the highest performers, these incredible CEOs, these incredible entrepreneurs that that will pay some of them seven-figure retainers to a coach, a year mm-hmm. to have them as their thought partner on their performance and their behavior. I mean, how much, how much do you think Tiger Woods pays his coach? Right. You know, or Jordan or, or any of those guys. And it's basically, it's, it's the low performers that are the ones that are a closed circle and only take, you know, they kind of live in their own heads the highest performers work on an open system model. And that's where you're taking energy and information from the outside. Mm-hmm. 
And part of that, I think, to diminish some of the fear that comes with that, you, you use a term in your book called the fangs of failure. There's a chapter in there called defanging the beast. Yeah. So what does that look like? I know you said that, I think there was a portion there that talked about um, the difference between those that are confronted with failure that feel defeated by it versus those that take failure and are inspired to keep trying. Yeah, it's it's really, it's almost, it, it's almost the hallmark of, of high performers. And, in, in, you know, there's a lot of different sayings you've heard. One of my favorites is, you know, every successful person is standing on the top of a big pile of failures. Mm. That's called learning. So here's the deal. Get a piece of paper and draw two lines, one at the top and one at the bottom. And on the top one, put the word there. And on the bottom one, put here. <laughs> so in other words, the bottom was, here's where I am now in my performance, and there is what I want to get to. That's the goal. All right, so maybe I want to grow sales. Maybe I want to start a business. Maybe I want to launch into a new market. Whatever that is, we always have a gap between where we are and where we want to be. Now, here's the deal. When we make an attempt to get to there from here, that first attempt is not going to get us there. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> All right, that's a step. That's a move. Right. Now, when I take that step and it doesn't work, I make that first sales call or I go to that first investor and I can't raise the money for it or this, that, and the other, depending on the software in my head, I am going to interpret that event in a way that fuels me forward or sets me back. So what great performers do is they use that failure as exactly what it is. That's called feedback. Mm -hmm. If you're piloting a plane, you have feedback from an altimeter. You look at it, you're supposed to be at 40,000 feet. It says you're at 39,000 feet because you let it dip or whatever. What it's telling you is you're failing to get to 40,000 feet, make an adjustment. Now, what some people do is they come from a different mindset. In fact, there's a lot of research on this. Um, a, a researcher named Dweck has, has, has written a lot about dividing this into two kinds of mindsets. Um, one of them, uh, I think she calls the growth mindset, and the other one is a fixed mindset. And what people with this fixed mindset do is they look at everything as either success or failure. So they, when they have a, quote, failure, because they think that life is fixed and you're either good or bad or you're lousy at this or good at this or, you know, whatever. When they have a failure, they interpret that as, well, I'm bad, I'm not good enough. People with a growth mindset, they have a failure and they look at that and say, okay, so what, what do we do that we need to do better? How can I change this? What can I learn from this? And they use that as successive approximation to get to a goal. That's how all innovation happens. That's all, how all, you know, I talked about, about Pixar a minute ago. And, and one of the things that Ed Catmull says was that they had a saying at Pixar, and that is that they would begin every movie with the team understanding 
is the movie that we just wrote, the movie we just created, sucks. Because it's our first mm-hmm. version. Mm-hmm. And so our goal here is going to get it from sucking to good. Mm-hmm. Now what he's done is he's normalized that scene didn't work, or that line didn't work, or that animation didn't work. That's a, quote, failure. Well, what do we learn from it? How do we tweak it? I would, um, if you read my book, Integrity, this is going back a few years, but in there I chronicled the story of, of Mr. Honda, mm-hmm. you know, Honda motor cars, Honda motorcycles. You read this guy's story, he failed so many times that you would have just wanted to, you know, bite the bullet at some point. I mean, he got rejected by trying to sell pistons to Toyota, and they wouldn't buy it. And then he, he started at first his first trying to do it, and then the factory burned down. And, I mean, all sorts of stuff happened, failure after failure. Go read Elon Musk's biography, the new one, you know, this last year. And what you're seeing is failure after failure after failure after failure, and the rockets blow up, and they, you know, burst into flames, and and they're near bankruptcy, and they can't bring this car to market, and then the batteries blow up, and on and on and on. And what you see is the learning curve of failure. So when I say in the book, you have to defang the beast, the gap between here and there, that that goal is either going to be the beast of judgment telling you where you ought to be and you're not, and because you're not, you're bad, or you defang that beast and it can be the lion that can actually pull you up. Mm. And that's what we have to do. We have to change the dynamic from from beast that's going to eat us and devour us to a goal that's going to actually pull us upward. And that's the role of every leader. It's the role of every high performer. Yeah, and having this, the people that are safe enough to empower you to surround yourself with those relationships, so, so critically important. Um, you said in your book... Um, and, and, and again, those aren't people who just give you happy talk. Right. They tell it like it is, and sometimes you need that swift kick in the, the nether region, right? That's right. Um, or two. <laughs> right. And you you talk about having a well-rounded diet of relationships. Can you share a little bit about those different entities of those connections? You know, it's always interesting, and people say, what's the most important thing? I, I, I remember one time I was, uh, I was speaking to a group of leader parents, and they said, Dr. Cloud, if you could say, what's the one most important thing that parents got to do if you want to have a successful, want to raise a, success, a successful child? And I said, well, there's really not one thing. And, and, and she goes, but what if you did? If you did, if you had to say one thing, what's the one thing? I go, well, there's really not one thing. There's like a handful of things. Well, what is the one? And she kept coming back. And I'd say, well, I'd have them not ask stupid questions, is basically, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm telling you, there's not one thing, all right? There, right, right. There are a handful of factors. It's sort of like, um, do you need, what, what's more important, air or water? Yeah, right. Well, maybe in the immediate short term, might want to look at air, but it's not going to be long for if you don't have water and you got air, you're gone too. So we talk about this this balanced diet, the food groups, of what happens in relationships that are going to fuel performance. What we're talking about, number one, is fuel, and literally fuel. We 
get energized, our brains get energized, our performance gets energized by relationship. Your brain runs on three things. It runs on oxygen, glucose, and relationship. So the first thing that's got to be important is you got to look at your relationships and whether it's the boss or your 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 business partner, your coworker or whoever it is, are their relationships fueling you or are they sucking energy out of you? That's mm-hmm. number one. They got to be fueling. Number two, they have got to be relationships that set you free. This is what we mentioned earlier. You know, if you're somebody's boss and you give them a role and responsibility and you're holding them accountable for that, get your hands off of the work. Mm-hmm. You know, if a surgeon is making an incision and they're in training and the, the instructor reaches over and grabs a knife, that's not helping anybody, probably not even the patient. They're going to get, you know, cut in half. And it's very difficult to have relationships that have very clear lines of I'm going to fuel you, but at the same time, I'm going to set you free to be able to do what you and only you can do here. And we want to control. We want to manipulate. We want to micromanage. So that's the second piece. The third piece of that is if I'm going to set you free, then I've got to have ways of also holding you responsible for what you're free to do. You know, in every relationship, we want to set each other free, but we got to hold each other responsible. And we got to hold each other accountable for what it is that you're being set free to do. And a lot of times we, we give a lot of freedom, but we don't have a lot of accountability. And sometimes, like I said earlier, we give a lot of accountability, but we don't really set people free. We control them. And then part of that is ongoing feedback. You know, one of the things that, that we see a lot of times in relationships is people talk about, well, I'm going to hold them accountable. Well, what holding them accountable means I'm going to go in there and scream at him so I feel better. <laughs> right, right. That's not accountability. <laughs> accountability stands on, you know, a, a, a few factors. First of all, it starts with really, really clear expectations. The worst thing you want to do is an accountability conversation that ends up with somebody beginning with, or begins with, how could you have, and the other person goes, uh, I didn't really know that's what you were wanting. Right, you know, so right. clear expectations. And then secondly, you don't have accountability at the end. I mean, what if a pilot had to fly an airplane and they couldn't look at the altimeter till they landed? Right. Accountability is ongoing. Mm-hmm. And so you got to ask yourself, how do we have continuous feedback in the intervals in which it can be helpful. And then it's got to be, you know, it's got to be actionable. It's got to be in some way that, that, you know, I'm getting this feedback, but don't tell me I'm irresponsible. Tell me something specific that I can, I can be actionable right. about. And then it has to have a certain kind of, of tone. Mm-hmm. And so that's another one of the food groups. And and then another really important one is in the book, what I call it is the right kind of push. Now, here's the thing. We need to be pushed from the outside. Michael Phelps is going to swim faster if there's somebody swimming in the lane next to him. And every time he takes a breath, he looks over and sees where they are, and they're inching out in front of him. We need external 
push and drive and challenge, but it's got to be the right kind of push. It's got to be to push us farther than where we are, but within the range of our capacities to be able to, to you know, do it, right? Otherwise, if it's too far, we get overwhelmed and shut down. If it's not far enough, we don't have, and here's the technical part of this, we don't go into an arousal state. And the only way we learn and get to higher performance is when we are in a state of arousal, but not too much arousal. So what we need is we need people that push us, that scare us. Your best performance is when you're out over your skis a little bit. You're going you're gonna to get to the next level of skiing when you lean forward and go, ah, I'm going faster than I ever so thought. So true. And it scares you. Yeah. But you don't want to do the black run straight down vertical your first day either. Yeah. And relationships have got to push us. So those are very, very important factors, and of course, all this is built on trust. Yeah, and great, great metaphor. Um, I worked for three years in Sun Valley, Idaho. It's so true that you have to lean into the very thing that's causing the fear. Um, as we're bringing in for a landing, I by just by the wanna... way, yeah, go ahead. And I'm a shrink, right? By training, I'm gonna tell you something. You need to, you need to go talk to the shrink to get over your fears. But there's no getting over fears without, at some point, going out and facing that fear. Yeah. That's the way the new patterns happen. You have to expose yourself to it. It's the only way you learn. Um, and so in your book, just as we're kind of coming in for a landing, I love the part where you're talking about, um, you know, plugging our brain into a new network with unlimited data and no viruses. That as we expose ourselves to relationships, it's very different from all the self-help that we've heard in the past. Right. You know, more than just changing your thinking and changing your life, the power within um, self-talk, you know, all that terminology, you have the power and stuff. Like until you get to relationships where people can cause growth, can cause challenge, can cause intimacy. And that I think is so critical. And here's what I love about your book. Not only does it address all of these issues in a very palatable, um, and safe way. Like I never read this book thinking like it was making me feel less than because I wasn't acquiring some of these things. Um, it was spoken in real person's talk. It wasn't psychobabble. This book is super relevant and super relatable. So thank you for that. Dr. Cloud, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they go about finding you? The best way is just go to drcloud.com, D-R-C-L-O-U-D.com, and um, there's an email address there. There's a lot of the, the products that I have, downloads for people, on their individual growth path or their companies, um, a lot of different stuff. And the book is called The Power of the Other, and it's out now. And you can get it on, you know, any of the major sites. Or if you go to poweroftheother.com, I've also got a, a simulcast that comes with the book. So check it out. Fantastic. I encourage all of you listening to go uh, explore that for yourself. It really falls in line with what we talk about on the show every week. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, sir. Good to be with you. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Thanks so much to Dr. Henry Cloud. This was such a great power-packed interview. Really appreciate you, sir. So, you know, one of the other ways to think about this conversation is from the other perspective more than how other people play a role in cultivating and nurturing our success, one of the thoughts might be, how are you 
influencing the people around you? How are you influencing their lives? Would other people consider you a positive, a life-giving, encouraging, or empowering person in their own life? I mean, really, while, while I truly want to expect to find people that inspire and build me up, and I, I definitely quest for that, I think it's only fair that I have the same expectation of myself towards others. And I want to be the person that others find encouraging. Don't you? Today, I want to challenge you as a call to action that you take some time, even right now, to visualize yourself being the caliber of person that um, someone else needs in this moment. To see yourself being powerful in the lives of people around you, that you would impact others with your character and your values and your presence. That's the kind of human being you choose to be. And that, that my friend, is a, a life of legacy. If you've enjoyed the show today, please share with a friend or your colleagues or post it up on social media. Let everyone you know know what is good about this show. And if you haven't already done so, please go visit iTunes and place a review and uh, rate it. That would be really appreciated. Your help goes a long way into getting other people uh, introduced to the show. I've also got a Facebook group that's a private group. And if you want to be a part of that, you can simply type in up in your business into your Facebook search bar and request entrance into that group. I'll make sure you get in there. And if you like this show and you want to tell me about it, you can always connect with me. Like I said before, in the beginning of the show, you can find me on Twitter at Angus Nelson, or you can email me hello at angusnelson.com. I'd love to hear from you. And finally, from, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for listening. I know there's so many other podcasts coming out. There's something like one podcast released every 10 minutes. That's pretty crazy. It's always a pleasure to have you take the time to invest in yourself and spend that precious time with this great community. I'm extremely grateful for you. May you live intentionally, love extravagantly, and lead with self-awareness. This has been Angus Nelson, building you to do business better. Be amazing. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co. Not calm. <laughs>